Did Jesus get this wrong? The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the sky, the Son of Man will come with great power and glory. This generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. So was Jesus off? Even perfect God can't be right all the time, can he? So what's going on? Why, why do we have this expectation of the generation that he's speaking to not passing away until all these cataclysmic things happen? Well, the solution to this is he's talking about a very specific event. He's talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And here's why. First of all, for the Jewish people, the temple represented the center of everything. It was the center of their economy, of their worship, of their politics. It represented everything. But specifically, going back to the Old Testament, the very imagery within the temple was supposed to represent all the cosmos, the universe itself. It was divided into three sections, the outer court representing the habitable world, the holy place was the visible heavens and lights in the sky, and then the innermost holy of holies was completely dark. It was the invisible dimension where God and his angels were present. The curtains were made to resemble the sky, made in blue and purple and scarlet material. The precious stones specifically in the inner court representing the visible heavens represented the starry heavens and the starry sky. And then even the seven lamps on the lampstand represented the luminaries of heaven, specifically the five planets, the sun, and the moon, those lights in the sky that did not follow the pattern of the stars rotating around the north star. So the temple, it's a microcosm. It's a symbol of the entire known universe. We also know that in previous prophecies, like in Daniel and Jeremiah, when they talk about the destruction of the temple, they also use this cosmic imagery. For the Jewish person, the destruction of the temple did represent the destruction of the cosmos. And in fact, it was a foreshadowing. When the temple's destroyed... It's a symbol of the end of all things when heaven and earth, our heaven and earth, pass away. It's like a foretaste. It's a participation in the later destruction of all things. But there's an additional meaning to this other than just the destruction of the temple or the destruction of the cosmos of all times. And to know what this meaning is, the meaning that is very important to us today... We need to know what genre we're talking about. What's going on in Mark's gospel? What's going on in Daniel? What genre of literature in the scriptures is this? So first, the genre is apocalyptic. We get a little excited when we hear the word apocalyptic because everybody loves a good disaster movie. But apocalypse is the end of all things. But really, that's not what apocalypse means. It means an unveiling. There's a distinct purpose for this genre of biblical literature, apocalyptic genre. It literally means unveiling. It's revealing divine truth. Despite appearances otherwise, God's divine providence and sovereignty are shown. God is in control of history from the very beginning to the very end. People are in distress, the people of God specifically. There seems to be trials, there's persecution, and there's suffering. 
the people of God are warned to remain faithful and loyal to God, that their triumphant endurance in times of trial and persecution will be rewarded with an everlasting reward, and the wicked will be punished in their judgment. It's an exhortation to encourage the people of God as they endure these trials that all will be set right, and it's to relieve the anxiety of the faithful and restoring and reinforcing confidence in our providential God. So yes, primarily, this literature is talking about the destruction of the temple and the things that will happen beforehand. Secondarily, it applies to the destruction of the entire cosmos. But its chief genre, its chief meaning for us here and now is the fact that Jesus is speaking to this generation here and now. His words are the same to us. This generation will not pass away before these things take place. For us, the world does come to an end at the moment of our death. Death comes for all of us. This exhortation to remain faithful in the face of death and trial is applicable to the Christian in every age, from the destruction of Jerusalem to the destruction of all the cosmos. These words are appropriate in light of our own death. In reflecting upon the passing away of Father Paternoster, I was talking with some men, and the thought struck me of, if I were diagnosed with a terminal illness tomorrow, how would my life change? If we had a known end date, how would we live our life differently? Would we have time to watch television or mess around on social media or play video games? I don't think so. I think we'd be fully engaged with our families and our friends and our loved ones. And I think we'd really strive to be holy here and now. I think I'd be filled with a momentary regret thinking, I wish I knew this. I would have been striving for holiness earlier than now. I could have been striving harder. I could have been working more for being in union with God and for loving my neighbor, for loving God above all things. How can I be out of time? But that's the whole point of this genre of literature. Death comes for all of us. If we're able to live now, as if we're dying, because we all are, if we're able to live now that intensity of loving our friends and loved ones and living holiness now in light of our death, then we're truly living the Christian life. We're living this exhortation to be faithful and to endure even in the midst of suffering and trials. That's the point of this month of November to focus on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. This is why it's so appropriate to have this genre of literature at the end of the church year, right before we begin Advent. We focus on our death because that's the source of our holiness, and that's the source of our intensity to love one another and grow fast in virtue, as if we're dying, because we are. Let us ask God to help us to live now as we ought as we would in the face of this terminal illness that we have, which is called human nature. Now, 
the whole context of Father Paternoster's death gives me great cause for hope. Because when I look at Father Paternoster, I see a man who really did live in the moments of those last days as he had lived the whole time. I remember I had the privilege, a parishioner here got a rosary group together and invited people to go down and pray at the hospital. And because I was there, because I'm a priest, I figured this is the time. I'm going to get my oils and go up to his room and anoint him if he's not been anointed. And I didn't have his phone number, so I had to text and get the phone number and got everything squared away. After meandering through the hallways, I finally got to his room. And thanks be to God, it was all glass. He was enclosed, but I could see him. And I said to the nurse, I need to go in. She said, you need an N95 and all these things. And I said, well, okay, let's do that. Are you fitted yet? No, I'm not fitted yet. Okay, well, I can't let you in there, sir. I said, let me just call him. She said, you can't call him. He has that mask on. There's no way. I said, "Uh, nurse, if you look in there right now, his talk to text is working pretty good on his phone. He's literally sitting there talking into his phone, sending text messages to people. So I called him, and thanks be to God, he picked up. And it was a privileged exchange. It probably lasted two and a half minutes. And I said, have you been anointed? Have you confessed your sins? He said, yes. A priest came by. I gave my confession, and I received anointing. And a priest, you're anointed on the back of the hands, because the front of your hands, the palms have already been anointed at your ordination. So it's just a special thing. You always anoint a priest on the back of his hands. And then I said, well, have you received the apostolic pardon? He said, nope, that's a new one. (laughs) I said, Father, would you like to receive that? Absolutely. So I'm on the phone and I'm shouting loud enough to be heard through the glass because you don't need to be physically present. You just need the voice to be heard by the other person. So I'm shouting the apostolic pardon through the halls of this hospital so that it would get through. And I give the sign of the cross and he gives, makes the sign of the cross. And I feel like you know, in some small way I have contributed. Who knows? God knows what that means, and he knows what that means. But it was just such a moment of relief. And then I said, Father, can I ask the school kids to pray for you? And he said, absolutely. Because I thought if we can get those 600 kids praying for him, then my heart would be even more at ease. And so praise God. He received the sacraments. And he was the same Father Paternoster that we had always known. It's like he had been preparing his whole life for this moment. And that's, would that we all lived our life in that way, undeterred in the face of death and living consistently in light of that end point. And then the day before he died, Father Richard, Father Brian, both went over and spent time in his room, said the divine mercy, and gave him Holy Communion, viaticum. Thanks be to God right, to have that special moment. I remember praying the sorrowful mysteries here in that holy hour, and then the day he died, the next day, the glorious mysteries. And that holy hour meant everything to me. I was filled with such peace. I thought, either this man will be miraculously cured, or he's as ready as he's ever going to be for death. Would that we all had 250 people praying for us less than 24 hours before we died. That's amazing. But truly, I'm just filled with so much peace and consolation. Even in the last days, he would be known to say, there are worse things than death. In light of all of this, we hear Jesus' words today. 
as if he's speaking directly to us because he is, this generation will not pass away before these things have taken place. We will eventually come to death. The things that we know will come to destruction, but our souls will endure. Our job is to remain faithful and to live preparing ourselves for that moment like Father Paternoster had prepared his life. And if we endure and are proven worthy that we hold fast to the faith, even in the midst of difficulty, in our own mortality, whatever persecutions and what may be going on in the world, if we remain faithful to the Lord, we know that his providential care, that he will give us that everlasting reward. He will set everything right. He is the Lord of history. So we live our lives in light of that. We prepare for that moment of death when heaven and earth will pass away for us. And we long for that eternal reward when our faithfulness, our endurance through the difficult times will be vindicated by Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. So in a special way, we entrust our prayers for Father Paternoster. We commend him to the mercy of God and we look to his example as he was stalwart in the face of death. May we also prepare for that moment And undeterred by any fear, put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his providential care.